Hello everyone and welcome to Sarah's Space and I guess welcome back to us sharing this space. It is now October in 2019 and I have taken a fair hiatus from creating this podcast partially due to circumstances beyond my control in the computer, um, I don't know quite what to call it, let's just say computer issues category and partially also because I wanted to sort of step back and see what direction I wanted to take this podcast. And I'm back with a new outlook, um, a new focus, and a computer that seems to be cooperating at this point in time. So let's hope that all continues in that successful direction. So today, what I wanted to say is, is that I would like from now on to have a basic focus and direction for each podcast that doesn't wander all over the place in philosophical meanderings as I am quite want to do. And I will still be inviting guests. In fact, I've got quite a few lovely human beings that I am going to be able to talk to during this autumn season. And we'll keep you posted as they come up. And when I am on my own, as I am tonight, I am going to really try to talk about a particular, I won't even say issue, but let's say a particular item of interest that I know has come up either recently or comes up in such a prevalent fashion that I know that it is of pertinence to everyone in the dance field. I am going to keep this open to educators in general and of course anyone who is in a position of being around people in an educating, mentoring, guiding fashion. So that is also to parents. And overall, I think it's basically going to be called Sarah's Space of Philosophical Meanderings About Dance and the Dance World, and perhaps Life Coaching in regards to dancers uh, foremost, uh, but past dancers, current dancers, future dancers, dancers of the spirit. So it's not going to be excluding anyone really, in my opinion. I just wanted to have a bit more of a focus as I felt as though it would be helpful. So tonight's conversation is going to be geared towards mentoring and mentorship, which is a word that gets bandied about a fair amount in this day and age. And I feel as though I have heard it in so many ways and in so many different forms directed either at myself or or what I do. And I would like to make sense of it, both, both out loud just for myself, but also just to perhaps give my opinion as to what it actually means. And if someone actually in a position of receiving that men- mentorship says that to you, then you really need to take a look at what that means to them and perhaps place a different type of value on what it is you're sharing and perhaps also understand the value that you are imbuing this person with young or old or same age as you. And I guess what I can best do is ask us all to take a moment and think about someone that we remember mentoring us, whether inadvertently or quite consciously, from our past. And think about perhaps, uh, I don't know, off-the-cuff comment that they made, or maybe quite a deep 
and thought-provoking comment that they actually intended to make, or maybe something careless. And think about the fact that, A, perhaps you now still remember it verbatim up to you know, 20, 30, 35, 40 years later, or perhaps you have the basic gist of it in your mind and your heart, and it resonates with you still to this day. I think that I think that most people that get into teaching or guiding or leading or mentoring in some way or fashion have a pretty conscious idea of the fact that they know that what they say needs to be said with some care and some thoughtfulness and that sometimes the way it's phrased also needs to be said with care and thoughtfulness. I guess one thought that comes to mind right away is many years ago I was adjudicating and I was asked to give a, a conversation on eating disorders and my my own personal experience with an eating disorder and uh, you know to, to mentor young people that perhaps were falling into that trap or going down that path or even just considering it and in the conversation a young woman uh, put up her hand and she said well I just have a question because I I had an adjudication from you in the past week and and it really triggered me and of course I was horrified because I thought my goodness my adjudications are usually done with such a great deal of care in fact I edit all of them after the writer has written them and quite often you know run the risk of running a little bit behind schedule because I want to see how they paraphrase my words because sometimes things can be paraphrased in a manner that can be somewhat out of context and damaging. And here was a perfect example. She said, you know, you said, watch my body weight. And of course, she took that to mean watch her mass, the way her body looks, the weight of her body. The actual sentence had been, watch that your body weight is further over your metatarsals. But the writer had decided that just takes too long to write. And besides, I had referenced metatarsals earlier, so let's just leave it out and see how this young woman took it to be a damaging judgment upon her physique. And of course, I made sure to clarify that and to apologize profusely for the misunderstanding and want to remind everyone again of there's a perfect moment and a perfect example. And I was lucky enough to be able to correct that and and resolve it. But we don't always have those those moments to speak back to. And we don't always have someone with the bravery or, or the or even the opportunity to come forward and say, listen, tonight you said this, and I just wondered what you meant. And I know that there have been wonderful times also in which I have had the opportunity to, either through friendships that have developed as students have grown past being my student and, and become young uh, professional dancers on their on their own, or else have gone on to become young humans and and experience life in whatever field of, of choice they have had or to become parents and sometimes they will come back and say something to me about I remember when you said and it really meant the world to me and I thought I, I think when they're telling me this sometimes I have absolutely no recollection of saying that but I am so grateful in my heart that I did because it helped this person and I'm so grateful in my heart that at that moment I happened to use words that were incredibly, um, I guess, productive and helpful and constructive. 
And I really do pay careful attention in the moment to my words, as you can hear me oftentimes in these podcasts with my pauses and my hesitations and my, I guess, my desire to speak articulately and eloquently and clearly so that things are made as profoundly lucid as they can be instead of just babbling on nonsensically. And when I'm teaching, although it seems to flow off the tongue more readily when there's a group full of people in front of me and our inspiration is movement and dance and the arts, I do find myself sometimes gazing off, taking a moment, taking a breath, and then saying something and wanting to see the dawning of whatever that means individually to each and every person in the room for them. And those things that I say, I am careful to make them age appropriate. I do tend to teach senior dancers in the amateur level. So that means basically 15 and up most often. So 15 to 25 tends to be the age level that I'm mostly focusing on. But I do have younger dancers this year, um, most noticeably. And they need to hear different things and they need to have different inspirations and different things trigger different things for them. Uh, different words, for instance. Uh, I, obviously, language is it's very important to be constructive in one's language and of also clean in one's language and and not overly silly because when one's dealing with young students, I do have some seven and eight year olds this year for the first time in years on a regular basis. It will silliness of although delightful later in the evening when that age group is already tired, it just disintegrates into full on lack of focus and silliness and loss of attention and the inability to bring things back to a concentrated level. So because we're always trying to move forward in a constructive fashion, that might not be uh, a way one wants to go. So it's just important to remember when you are choosing your language. And I think also we can expect that as human beings are all so individual and different, that not everyone is going to understand what you are saying in the same fashion. And I quite often will pull the dancers in to a closer circle or I will move towards them and they just sort of naturally gravitate to a sort of semicircle formation. So I can see their faces and I see how people are digesting things. And I see if my particular vocabulary is leaving them wanting or in the dark or cold and I will adjust it accordingly. I also see if I am emotionally touching someone in a fashion that is bringing up a ghost or a damage or a hurt, and I make sure that I ameliorate that with some language that I feel will take them forward and have them not ignore those feelings of hurt and damage, but to, to embrace them and to give them something constructive and positive to move forward with so that they're, they're healing as they're moving. And I try my very best to not leave that semicircle until I see that everyone in that, in that range of, of my verbalization has understood to a degree that we can then go forward and, and achieve a, a greater understanding in the way we're trying to move through space and the way we're trying to express ourselves in the way we are trying to communicate our artistry and also to empower ourselves. I feel like with young people in particular, 
it's so vulnerable. It's such a vulnerable time. And there are so many inadvertent ways of ignoring that vulnerability and turning it into a toughness or a shell or some sort of construct of modern uh, pop culture in which we couch ourselves in this sort of cool sounding lingo or this dumbing down language. And it's not really us and it's not really how we want to represent ourselves, but anything else at this point in time just feels too raw and too emotionally open to hurt. And I, although I understand and I empathize, I really, really push to encourage that empowerment and that self-realization because it is very difficult to move into the performing arts world without allowing oneself that time of of being okay with being vulnerable with ourselves because there are going to be so many times where we are in a environment as I've said in many podcasts in the past and also with some guests in which we can't control well, we never can control other people's reactions. But even the person at the front of the room, or the person who we are giving our attention to as a director or a choreographer or a creator at that time, or a teacher or a guide, maybe they are not as careful with their language. Maybe they are not as careful with their caring of other human beings. Maybe they are too damaged themselves. Maybe they are not, not aware enough. Maybe their self-awareness is dulled by their own lack of self-realization and thereby they are saying things that are frankly hurtful or frankly um, careless, cold, um, diminishing, derogatory, uh, objectifying. There's, There's so many different words I could use for it because there's so many different ways it manifests itself. But I think that each and every one of us, no matter our age, can think back to a time in which someone in a position of power, whether it be someone in the school system, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a family member, maybe it is our dance teacher, maybe it is a teacher of a different discipline, but there's someone who we would consider um, looking up to for, for some sort of educational guidance. And they say something And whether they say it in a moment of their own anger or their own um, inability to deal with an issue perhaps that they're having on that particular day, or maybe their own uh, triggers that have come up that day, it really doesn't matter because the point is they say it and they say it aloud in a position where they hold power and someone, perhaps us, in the room is vulnerable to that and we take it and we hold it. And we may hold it for a very very long time. We may hold it so long that it manifests itself into some own self, our own self-destructive damage. And I think that as an educator, my expectations of myself are to try to maintain as much self-awareness as I can in those situations so that I don't wreak that havoc with another person in the room. And that if I see myself perhaps saying something out of out of the pattern of how I'd like to communicate at the time, then I retract it or I, I guess I ameliorate it. I try to smooth it over with something that would be more positive and perhaps an apology sometimes, just a a outright apology for the direction that I took. And I feel as though one that I 
I inadvertently did the other day was, it was kind of interesting. I was speaking about it with a dear friend afterwards. And I said, you know, sometimes I end up in these conversations with my senior students uh, in which they need to share with me a vulnerable time or, or a self-discovery that they're going through or a frustration. And they're looking to me sometimes just to hear and listen. And then other times I know they're looking to me for some sort of, I will use the word judgment. And I, I don't think that anyone ever looks for a negative judgment, but I think sometimes we're so used to looking upwards or outwards for some sort of rating on where we're at or what we're thinking that we put ourselves in a position in which we could be hurt by someone else's careless remark. And I saw this young person expressing themselves and I saw them looking to me for perhaps more of a, a recognition of where they were at and what they were thinking and was it wrong or right that they were thinking what they were thinking? And I realized at that moment that not only did I not want to have that power over this person or, or at any time be able to uh, say to someone, well, I pronounce you right or wrong because of that direction of thinking, because then that gives me some sort of omnipotent power to declare. And that and that's not what I want, nor is that in my idea a guide or a mentor or a teacher of any sort that's that's a dictator and I don't want to be that but what I saw this young person doing was trusting me and looking at me with that trust that says so this is where I was was thinking some time ago this is what I'm thinking now what's going on with me and and is is it wrong that I'm thinking these things and I realized that what I wanted to say was you know what all this time I have spoken to all of you and and so vehemently and passionately about self-empowerment and wanting you to not ever look to other people for approval and not, not become locked in that pleasing cycle where you're always looking to please someone else outside yourself. And I looked at them and I said, you know what I just realized in this exact moment, I can't believe it's taken this long to actually consciously have the epiphany to be able to say this is that I can say that and I can coach that and I can encourage that simply because I have had unconditional love as a child. I have had unconditional love period my entire life. I have been unconditionally loved by my mom and my dad and that is such a blessing and I am so grateful for it and in my recognition of that understand that unconditional love allows me to be okay being 100% myself with all flaws intact, with the understanding that they're okay. Those flaws and those mistakes and those uh, myriad of ups and downs and ins and outs and wrongs and rights, that's all just part and parcel of the me and, and me discovering that and me going out there and perhaps sharing that with the world or not or bumping along and trying to figure it all out, that's still okay. And I hope that I am not alone at all. I hope that there is a majority of the human population that can share that same statement and say, I have been, am still unconditionally loved, and know that that unconditional love 
allows me this place of such self-confidence so that I can share with others this self-confidence and thereby encourage all of you to find that for yourselves and find that direction. And in saying that aloud, inadvertently some, some young people's eyes swelled with tears. And I don't assume or presume to know what those tears were for, if that was because they appreciated the fact that I laid myself bare and and recognized that I couldn't offer gems of wisdom, so to speak, or listen with the ears that I've been listening with, unless I had had that unconditional love and thereby recognizing it was being vulnerable. Or perhaps they were recognizing that that was something they would have to navigate on a different path because they didn't experience those same feelings that I have been so blessed to have my entire life. And in saying that, I also want to say that, you know, the the love that one gets from one's life partner, although it is deep and resounding and hopefully feels like unconditional love, feels like it is there forever, feels as though you are loved with all of your yin and yang and light and dark and positive and negative. One knows deep down that it is a very different love than the one that we receive in our formative years as we are being raised. And it is a love that will take us into our old age and our deaths, hopefully, and will allow us to raise young humans if that's the path we choose. And if it's not the path we choose, it will allow us to enjoy life to its fullest. But it is a different love and thereby discovering ourselves within that love will be a completely different process than it is when we're discovering ourselves in, in, within unconditional love as children. So I guess all that to say that as an educator, that's what buoys me up. That's what pushes me forward. That's what makes me so vehement and so passionate about trying to empower the young people that I work with and not have them uh, filled with such adoration or uh, transference or adulation that they step outside themselves and are unable to to take those thoughts and those good moments and those self-discoveries and those revelations and those moments of of technical prowess that they acquire and that artistic discovery and, and, and celebrate it for themselves. I am trying so hard to become more and more aware and perhaps more and more uh, delicate or careful with the discovery that the, the, the incredible blessings that I've had as a young person and throughout my life with my family, not everyone experiences. And I think that as educators, what we can expect is, is that that's some of what we will see in the faces of people when we are talking with them and that that's something to be aware of and treat preciously and treat with great care and attention. And in that regard, I do want to mention boundaries because they are a hot topic nowadays. I, I think that they mostly get referred to in the terms of communication with all the social media and ways that people have of reaching us that we didn't have in, in the past. I personally feel that I walk into the room 
that I am teaching someone in with a sense of personal strength and self-respect and don't invite the type of boundary crossing that might endanger me or an endangering student or cause me distress in my downtime. I can certainly say that I have not always walked in with that type of self-preservation. And in my youth, uh, early 20s in particular teaching, I did run into some circumstances in which those boundaries were, they were abused um, and they were a little too nebulous on my, on my half. I tried too hard to be everything to my students and I guess to be so accessible that uh, those students who were coming from a less functional place, a less healthy place, took full advantage of that. And there were some borderline scary situations that cropped up out of that. And I certainly learned a lot. And now I can genuinely say that I don't pass out warnings to my students. I don't tell them what they are and aren't allowed to do other than respect. I tell them all that I expect them to respect themselves and to respect each other in the environment that I am in command of or guiding them through at the time, so within the studio setting that I'm teaching them in, and to not treat each other with anything that would feel like a violation of privacy or respect outside that environment. And I have not run into any circumstances where I feel like my time is being taken for granted. And that is, you know, that's a huge statement coming from teaching a, a, an age group that is generally regarded as incredibly self-involved and self-centered. And I'm not saying that in a sarcastic or um, unpleasant way. It's a natural stage of psychological development. And if one doesn't start from a self-centering place, then how can one center outwards and give. So I feel like that's a natural development, although sometimes, yes, <laughs> granted, <laughs> uh, coming from a much more mature perspective now, it, it can be tiring and an exhausting perspective, but it's an important one to regard with care and attention. If, if you're taking the opportunity to teach at that age level, then one needs to remember that then that's what you will be confronting. And I feel that the boundaries that we can set as mentors, guides, teachers, educators are, are kind of within ourselves. If we have that self-respect and that desire to give in a manner that is truly constructive and positive, then we're self-respecting ourselves. And we aren't, I'm using this phrase um, carefully, but it is one that I think you all if have listened in the past, know that I think very strongly of, we don't dumb down. We don't need to be uh, thought of as one of them to be valuable to all of them. Uh, we are a human. We have shared equal human experiences on the level that we have all been that age at some point. But at this time in our lives, we are ourselves and our human experience is valuable for us to, to keep in mind and to value ourselves and trying to pretend that we are any age other than the one that we are is not doing anyone any good. I quite often will giggle to myself when I'm teaching 
and I will express aloud, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm having a flashback, but I can actually at this moment in time remember being 15 and then I'll fill in the blank with whatever anecdote, um, I guess, achieves the, the desired outcome I want in that moment. But I'm certainly not 15 in this moment. And I'm also clear in my language that I am comfortable being the age that I am, which happens to be the reverse numbers of 15, funnily enough. Haha. Ha. Uh, <laughs> in regards to boundaries for students, I think that it's really, really important to remember that we are trying to instill in all of the human beings that we work with, whether they be much younger than us, a bit younger than us, same age as us, or older than us, the self-preservation and self-respect and the idea of how to protect themselves, whether it be physically or mentally or emotionally. And so that's part of our teaching. And there are many wonderful, there actually there's many wonderful mentors that one can access both in online forums, but also through the written word and through actual in-person lectures as well. Educators who I think of very highly Gabor Mate is one that I think right off the bat, I, I feel like that humanness and that realistic, honest, deeply uh, filled with integrity attitude is a wonderful one to take forward into one's educational and healing teachings, because sometimes that's what we are teaching is healing, uh, whether it be healing in a in a more immediate and superficial way or healing in a long-term fashion, all part of the educational perspective. So I feel like mentorship is a very heavy word and in all honesty um, comes with its own burdens. I have enjoyed over time the, the perspective shared by other mentors in different professions, such as the psychological profession, in which they are sharing how they become exhausted uh, and need to have times in which they are refilling or re, uh, what, what are words that, refueling or just reinstilling in themselves that that sense of self and that direction and that centering. And maybe that's what I've been doing over the last month and a bit as well. Just September is a very, very tumultuously busy month. And I think this September more than many in the past has been very much so for myself. And I just needed some time to refuel and uh, get back into the the deep centering and integrity of what it is I want to do and how I want to be perceived and how I want to represent myself and how I want to present myself and how I want to share. And I feel like mentorship can be taken on in a way that one feels less like the leader and more like one of many leaders and one of many sharers and one of many givers and thereby it's a it's a comforting word I think and uh, I hope that you all find a way of embracing that for yourselves whether it's in just reflecting on 
mentors that you may have had in the past, mentors that have helped you then, maybe currently, mentors that you seek, and feel free to share your thoughts with me. And I hope to have conversations with this coming fall, people that you may find value and an interest and pertinence in things that they have to say for you in your lives and moving forward. And I thank you for joining me again in Sarah's space. And I look forward to speaking to you in the near future.